Megan. So the first thing I wanted to chat about with you actually was, I'm curious, what was your own experience with student loans? And also, I want to know, like, how did you decide that this was a career path that you wanted to pursue? I don't know if this is shocking or not, but I actually did not have student loans myself. When I went to school for finance, and I immediately went into financial planning. My internship, like my junior year of college was in financial planning. And I really loved it. And that's what decided, like what made me decide to keep going the financial planning route with my career. After graduation, I learned a lot. It was almost like my residency, if you will, mm. about like like mm. getting used to like, I mean, you have to learn a lot. We're not really taught a lot about personal finance in school, even if you're going for a finance degree. It's mostly like corporate finance stuff. So it was a big like learning curve, a big learning experience. Um, and then it came time where I had friends asking me like, hey, I would love to do financial planning, but I've got student loans. Can you help me with that? And I actually like didn't know how to handle student loans at the time. And, mm. it, you know, I thought, oh, it's just a debt that we're, we're going to have to pay it off. Like, how much do you owe? And then I started meeting folks and um, learning that student loan debt can be very large, like you can have very large balances, like mortgage size balances. So I had a chiropractor tell me, I've got 300,000 of student loan debt. Can you help me? And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to find <laughs> out for you. So I did yeah. like a lot of research, like that really like struck me. I was like, there's got to be some solutions for this. Like I, this is crazy that people have like mortgage size balances. So I did, I was just like natural curiosity and just like shock on like, wow, I didn't know that you could borrow like that much for school. I didn't know school was that expensive. Like that led me into really a rabbit hole of just learning everything there was about student loans and then realizing like, wow, like this affects so many people very negatively. But if we have a right, if we have the right plan in place, well, like we could really put together an awesome like financial plan that that isn't like inhibited by those student loans, if that makes sense. And I feel like you brought up a good point in that a lot of people, if you don't go into the healthcare route, um, specifically, so my audience is mostly healthcare professionals. Yeah. If you don't go into the healthcare route, a lot of people don't realize how much the schooling costs. And even right. if you do go down that route, like I went down that route, I, you know, when you're at school, you're like, yeah, 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 I owe a lot. But I feel like when you're in school, you don't quite really understand like what it feels like to have money and what it feels like to owe money until you're out of the job and you already owe that much. And so it's kind of like a trap in a way because it's like you don't really know what you're signing up for until you're starting to owe everything. So I want to hear what's the most challenging part of your job, like, oh, like a frustrating part of it. And then also like, what's the best part? What's your favorite part about what you do? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. So I really think the the most challenging part Honestly, it's the number of misconceptions there are about student mm. loans and how to pay back student loan debt. Because I think um, in traditional financial planning, like we are taught to help our clients pay down debt really aggressively, like mm. getting a lower interest rate, paying it down very you know, fast, reducing that interest cost over time. But federal student loans, which is the vast majority of student loans outstanding, especially for medical professionals, there are a lot of other options. There's public service loan forgiveness. There's income-driven repayment options that can lead to forgiveness as well. And those are like very real options that need to be entertained in a lot of different scenarios. And so if you just have like the blanket advice of, no, debt is debt, just pay it down. Like that's my biggest challenge is like helping people kind of overcome what they've been taught, like showing people like, here's the numbers 
here's what like traditional advice would tell you. Here's what maybe other options look like. Here's the pros and cons and like starting to like unwind that thought process, if that makes sense. Mm, totally. Um, so that's the hardest part. <laughs> but I think the best part is on the flip side of that conversation when like I, I really do. And you said it great, like student loans and, and, you know, while you're in school, like you're kind of living a like ignorance is bliss a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what you don't know yet. And then you get slapped with student loan repayment like right after school. And that's oftentimes like the first introduction to personal finance that people have. And it's not friendly. It's not fun. Um, And so you go through this high of, Oh, I got, I got my dream job or I've got this great salary now. And then you get your student loan bill and it's like, Oh my God, what do I do now? (laughs) So, so what's really fun, I think for me is, you know, figuring out what the best plan of action is going to be for these really scary, crazy student loans. So you have the freedom to move on, to think about other fun things, other fun goals that you have. You know, if you want to start a family, buy a house, start saving for retirement, like that is the most rewarding part of like, Mm. you know, not like seeing my clients not allow the student loans to become like that complete roadblock that it really does feel like for for a lot of people, you know? No, it can totally be debilitating. And it can really suck the joy out of a lot of what we do when that's like mm-hmm. hanging over our head. I'm curious. I touched on this when I interviewed Alan about this and I, and you touched briefly on it too, but I want to hear more. You guys, you know, when you hear financial things, like you think money, you think numbers, but I finances from what I've learned from, you know, both you and Alan, they're actually deeply personal. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, like, what are some kind of, um, you alluded to this earlier, like behavioral or like mental roadblocks and misconceptions that people tend to have, whether it's like generational or cultural or things like that. I think you're absolutely right. I think personal finance is very personal. And so mm-hmm. I think like kind of an initial roadblock for almost everybody is kind of the comparison game that everyone has. Mm-hmm in finance too. And and it doesn't like on its face, it might not even be finance. It might be like, how did she buy that car? How did they buy that house? You know, trying to, that comparison game can really be uh, rough because you, you're looking at your situation, you're looking at other situation or other people's situations and you make a lot of assumptions. So sometimes like that behaviorally is kind of hard for a lot of people. So with that said, personal finance really is personal. And that, that comes down to like, drawing it back down to your student loan plan too like your plan may look completely different than your colleague that y'all went to school at the same time you have maybe about the same balances um, but maybe your family circumstances or your career situation or income trajectory like that might really change your plan compared to what your friend is doing and sometimes that's hard because you think there should be like a cookie cutter answer for stuff Mm. in finance and there's just not Um, fortunately, but also unfortunately, because unfortunately that can be a little overwhelming, but fortunately in the sense that like, there's a plan for everybody. Like you can create a plan around what you want to accomplish in life. And Mm. it's, it's going to look different than somebody, somebody else, you know, because they have different goals and plans for their life. Um, but that's okay. And we have to be okay with that. So sometimes that's really hard to like learn and then learn to be okay with too, because it, feels like you should be doing the the exact same thing that someone else is doing but you don't definitely don't have to be (laughs) and I feel like as humans it's just human nature to want to compare because you're like well if it's working for them 
it must it must work for me and like we're kind of all um these are things that are not intuitive so if you don't have an expert like you know an advisor or someone like that you may think that like you have it under control but you may be totally missing like a missing piece with it too Mm -hmm. and we touched on this earlier too i do want to hear you know you talked about the misconceptions that people have what are the most common misconceptions that you see people have or mistakes Mm -hmm. they make too yeah i think um the the first one was the obvious that we talked about which was like that you have to Mm -hmm. always pay down debt aggressively that's not true Um, But I think with these forgiveness plans, like public service loan forgiveness or income-driven repayment that has forgiveness, like I think a lot of people are skeptical. They think Mm. that can't be real. Like that's not going to happen for me. But they are very real programs and people should really pay attention to them, especially if like mathematically that should be the way that they go. Um, There are some rules of thumb that can help you like filter yourself into a bucket on how you should treat your student loan situation. Um, So I'll mention that because it could be helpful. If your balance is a lot greater than your annual income um, and probably will be, you know, for the near future. What is like a lot greater? Like what's considered a lot greater? I would I'd honestly say probably just anything greater than your income. Okay. So Got if it. you're making like a hundred thousand and your student loan balance is a hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand, that mm-hmm. puts you in this bucket where your your balance is just greater than your income. If that's the case, then you should probably entertain these income driven forgiveness routes which feels weird like because if you go on an income driven plan the payment will be proportionate to your income so it'll probably be lower than what it would be to pay it off really aggressively right um and you kind of take a more passive approach where you just pay that income driven payment and you're working towards a forgiveness timeline of either 10 20 or 25 years depending on your plan that you're choosing and whatever balance is left over at the end of that time frame is then forgiven And so the thought process there is if your balance is greater than your income, you'd want to be paying as little as possible towards your loans to maximize how much you can get forgiven later. And the reverse is true. So let's say your balance is a lot less than your income. You know, you make 100, but your balance right now is like 50 or 75. Um, Then you could probably pay that off in a really decent amount of time. Like with the income that you have, the shovel, you know, the income is your shovel. With that shovel, you could probably pay it off within a decent amount of time and that'll be the more efficient way to go because if you went the income-driven route, you'd probably end up just paying the loans off on the income-driven plan before getting to Mm. the forgiveness timeline. Could you go into a little bit about like why? Because I'm sure there's people listening that have been told that traditional like pay them off as fast as you can, like aggressively thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you shed a little bit of light about why that's not the best option for everyone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about the history first with that saying. Um, So historically, debt has been very expensive. So for perspective, like 30 years ago, mortgage interest rates were double digits, like 12, Mm -hmm. 13, 14,000. Credit card debt wasn't totally a thing yet, not like it is today, but we know credit card interest rates are really high compared to, you know, even student loans. Student loan interest rate averages are probably like 5 to 7%. Credit cards will be like 20s, 20-something percent. And older, you know, if you're talking to your parents or an uncle or someone who is telling you to pay your loans down really aggressively, they're probably like kind of scarred from what debt used Mm. to be. And 
at, at that time, that would have been the right advice. Like if your student loans were 15%, like, yeah, you'd, you'd probably want to be paying those off really aggressively, especially if there was no uh, forgiveness availability. Um, so fast forward to now, in federal student loans have these forgiveness provisions, which do not exist with any other kind of debt. So we have to also recognize that, that federal student loans are different. They're weird. You know, they're a different ballgame. So we have to play that <laughs> that different ballgame. Um, and so forgiveness could be something we can consider. So mathematically, when we run the numbers on what your income-driven payment would be over, let's say, 20 years, which is one of the income-driven forgiveness timelines, when we add up all those payments over the 20-year time frame, that may be less than what you would have paid off. Like, let's say, like, what's the average income, do you think, in your profession? Um, I'd say the average for a dentist, it's tricky because it really does depend on where you work and your experience. For someone like me, fresh out of school, like my first six months, um, any, let's, like 150K. Mm-hmm. 150. And I know there's a huge difference too on like if you plan on staying like an associate or if you go into practice yeah. ownership. So let's pretend you stay more the associate route for now. You're at like okay. 150. You have some income growth over time. And the average dentist that I work with has about 350,000 of student loans. So it's Isn't that a pretty, disgusting? <laughs> yeah. It's a really large balance. Um, and then let's say that interest rate is like six and a half percent. That's kind of average currently. Let's say you're just starting repayment. We're working in a private practice, so not in a public service setting. So if our income is 150, our income driven payment, one of the cheaper income driven payments would be about a thousand dollars a month. If you were trying to pay the loans off like really aggressively on like, let's say you squish your payments into like a 10 year payoff where you're paying off mm-hmm. all the principal and interest, your payment would be 4,000 a month. Wow. So that's like four times more. Yeah. Four times more for 10 years. And we compare that to what if we just had a thousand dollar payment for 20 years? Mathematically, you'll end up paying less doing that income driven route compared to paying the loans off. And that sounds crazy, right? Because like, mm-hmm. again, this doesn't exist with other kinds of debt. But this is what I mean by we have to kind of think about student loan debt a little differently. And it mm-hmm. comes down to like, where is your balance in comparison to your income at the end of the day? And then that can help direct you if you should be paying the loans off more aggressively or if the forgiveness might really be like a nice safe haven. Because if you think about it, like, could somebody making 150 a year pay $4,000 a month? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be a fourth of your income though, <laughs> right? And that yeah. would mean you're probably not saving a lot for retirement. You're probably not buying a house. You're probably not doing some of these other financial goals that you had. So not only like mathematically could it not be better to pay the loans off aggressively, it may actually push you back in just other financial goals or other areas of your life which that I think is, I think that could be more impactful. Detrimental, yeah. So what about someone where like with dentistry, it's so wildly, 
I guess you could say unstable, but it really varies, mm-hmm. um, especially after like your first year. What about like, you know, we approach it one way at like 150K, but then the mm-hmm. next year you're making like 300K. At mm-hmm. what point do you kind of reassess how to do that? Because once you, you know, let's say you do really well that like next year, then the, the rule of thumb kind of mm-hmm. like if we apply that, then you go from like making the same amount to making more. Like how mm-hmm. would you know when to change? Yeah, that is a great question. And that's that's actually the most challenging part of your profession specifically with dentists. <laughs> Mine. <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the in, it's like nailing down the potential income. Um so Yeah. I well you, you know what's funny is since we work with Alan, mm-hmm. um he gets to see like my month by month what goes on. Yeah. So like I feel so exposed because he's like, wow, good month, Connie. And then if it's a bad month, I'm like, oh, I don't want Alan to see this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know he's not judging, but still, it like fluctuates yeah. a lot. The variable income for sure. And so, yeah, that's definitely something. And that that's relevant for, you know, other medical professionals too that have variable income mm-hmm. or just like an interesting trajectory because, you know, I, I work with, I have worked with dentists in the past that start as an associate. They think they want to mm-hmm. go into practice ownership. They do. They buy into a practice. Um, they hate it. And then they sell it and then they go back to being an associate or something like that. So like life can take some really funny turns. And so I think what's also important with student loan planning is to build in some flexibility where, you know, ideally we have the plan nailed down and it never has to change. Right. Mm -hmm. But that is not life with anything. So Mm. it's helpful to build in some flexibility. So let's say I have somebody who's like, you know, right now their income is lower than their balance, but they could very easily see their balance becoming lower than their income in the future. Like maybe they do have that trajectory with their income path. Then what we might do is still start out on an income-driven plan because then we'll bank time towards that forgiveness timeline and the payment's Mm -hmm. affordable while their income is lower. And then the game plan would be, okay, well, if we think this might be the path, we think it might be a better idea to pay these loans off later, let's start on income-driven, and then let's be pretty aggressive about saving in the meantime. And so we, I would tell folks, like, set money aside, like, put it in a high-yield savings account or put it in, like, you know, a non-retirement investment account. Kind of pretend like you have higher payments, but sock mm. money aside And then if that does come to fruition, like if you are crushing it and you're making a lot more income and it's starting to make more sense to pay the loans off instead, then instead of going towards loan forgiveness, then you've got like that bucket of money that you can take to throw down on the balance and start paying it down more aggressively from there. So, and then the reverse could be true too. I've had that be the case where we think income is going to be one thing and it's not, and they're not interested Mm in, you know, what it might take to make income be that and so you know thankfully they they stayed on the income driven plan they've got a a lot of money and savings and they can put that towards another goal that they have because that's how we would treat it is just kind of proactively thinking about how the plan could change talking about Mm -hmm. ways that they can maybe prepare for that I think that's something that's so helpful about working with a specialist is because you can kind of work on the plan and like adjust the plan as needed, but you have someone there. Um, mm-hmm. I want you to share, you know, just things that we might not realize that like, we, whether it's like that we lack the knowledge or something, like what are the benefits for someone listening to this to seek out a specialist? And like, mm-hmm. is there a specific like sign of like, okay, this is someone that should definitely work with a specialist versus, mm-hmm. you know. So I, sometimes I like to turn the question around and make people think like in their own profession, 
Um, Mm -hmm. So like in dentistry, let's say someone has like, you know, always brushed their teeth, always flossed. They've always, you know, done what they should have done for hygiene, but they have this horrible tooth pain and they don't know Mm -hmm. what it is, you know, but they're living with it. Like, should that person self-diagnose themselves and, you know, kind of ride along with that tooth pain or should they seek out a professional? Like, they should probably seek out a professional at that point, right? Um, totally. And that that might be like an obvious answer to a lot of people. But same thing with like finance. Like if you, let's say you think you're doing the right thing with your planning, but I know there's, you know, probably a glaring, like if I were to look at your situation, there's like one mm-hmm. thing I would have changed that could have saved you a lot of time or a lot of money mm-hmm. that you just don't even know about. Um, that could be why like a specialist is is imperative because you might think you're doing the right thing, but maybe there's something you're missing because the student loan system is pretty complicated and it changes a lot. Like we've had mm. new repayment plans come out this past year. So there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out, does it make sense to switch to this new plan? Should I stay on my current plan? And again, there's not a cookie cutter answer, unfortunately. So I think like finding the small little things that really could could make or break a plan or really save somebody money. That's one thing. Um, but also peace of mind. Like I also work with mm-hmm. a lot of folks that, you know, their situation is pretty straightforward, but it keeps them up at night and they don't mm-hmm. know if they have the right game plan for their loans. Like they, they cringe when their parents ask them about it. Like they just don't feel confident yeah. in their plan. And that also might cause them to not feel confident in setting plans for the future. Like, you know, they may may want to move, you know, to a different city, but they don't feel like they can because they've got this going on with their loans. They think they're doing the right thing, but, you know, they just don't feel great about it. So I think the confidence side of it is also the thing is like working with a professional can help save you time, money, but also peace of mind and just knowing that, you know, you're good. And then if you had questions, like you have somebody who knows this stuff they could tell you right there instead of you doing a lot of Google searching or a lot of, um, you know, searching around Reddit. <laughs> late yeah, at night. I mean, <laughs> and like that's priceless to have that peace of mind because if you think about it, like you go through all of this training so that you can interpret like the fine print when they come up with these new plans and you go mm-hmm. through all this training and certifications so that you can kind of tailor everything. That reminds me exactly of like my patients that, you know, they Google like, okay, I have a toothache and then they're like, okay, it must be this because mm-hmm. – they have the blind spots, whereas we have the expertise to be like, well, actually, it's kind of nuanced, like, and mm-hmm. I guess the role of, you know, with a dentist, it's to custom tailor plans for each patient. Same thing goes for a spot for any sort of financial advisor, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like currently enrolled in like the save plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was wondering if you could go into, you know, the save plan since it's new, who's eligible, all that good mm-hmm. stuff. So save, uh, save, S-A-V-E, it's supposed to stand for saving uh, for a valuable education. <laughs> so they like mm-hmm. their acronyms. Um, but it completely replaced what used to be called repay, revised pay as you earn. And it's it's better than revised pay as you earn. It's slightly cheaper. It has a larger, like how they calculate the payment is they take your adjusted gross income and then they subtract a poverty line deduction, which that adjusts every year with inflation. Uh, But they subtract that number, you get your discretionary income, and then the payment is based off of that discretionary income. So um, SAVE has a larger poverty line deduction, which makes the payment cheaper than any of the other plans. 
it's 10% of that discretionary income number, but it's of a smaller discretionary income number. So it's cheaper for just about anybody. Um, but there are some like pretty significant things to know about it compared to the other plans. So save is a 25 year timeline to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If we have graduate school loans, um, there's another, there's two other plans pay P A Y E stands for, um, pay as you earn. And then there's a new IBR new income based repayment. Those two plans slightly more expensive per month, like slightly like a maybe Mm. 75 to a hundred dollars more per month, but it's a 20 year timeline to forgiveness. What I'm doing a lot of right now for folks is trying to compare, like, does the cheaper payment on save mm. um, for 25 years make sense? Or do we prefer the slightly higher payment on pay or new IBR for the shorter timeline? And sometimes that's not a math answer. Sometimes that's mm. a preference answer. Like someone someone might say, hey, I, I want to be done with these as soon as humanly possible. I want to do forgiveness. What's the shortest timeline? And that would be pay or new IBR. Um, so save, I think, is is great. The, the other really cool component of save is it has what's called an interest subsidy or an interest discount. And what that means is it, um, it waives any interest that would be accruing on your balance. So let's say your interest cost for the month is $500, but your income-driven payment is $200. I'm just making up numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you make your income-driven payment of 200 That didn't cover all the interest that was charged that month, right? So there's right. $300 that's left. What would happen on save is that $300 would be waived. On pay or new IBR, that $300 would be added to your balance. So then your balance grows over time. Mm. Um, so that's a really big benefit to save because we won't see any balance growth. Um, And it kind of solves a lot of people were asking for like a cap on interest rates for federal student loans or like a limit on how much it could grow. And and this is that pretty much. (laughs) And so if someone's not sure that they want to do forgiveness, they're not sure they want to pay it off, we would go on the save plan. And if the payment is really low, they're going to get that interest subsidy and not have the balance grow on them. So if they turn around and want to pay the loan off really aggressively later, they're not working against all that accrued interest that happened. They're just working against the balance that they originally had, which is pretty cool. Even if you don't long-term want to stay on save, it could be a good strategy to use for like someone who even might pay the loans off later. I want to talk too about the public service loan forgiveness mm-hmm. plan. Um, I think that's a really great option that we may have heard about, but not a lot of people know the details about. Mm-hmm. Public service loan forgiveness, I think, is a really great program. It's uh, definitely gotten a bad rap in the past, like, maybe five years. There were Mm -hmm. some issues with it and, like, communication around it. Um, But it's a great program. It legitimately will forgive your loans. So it's a program for folks who work in a public service capacity. So hence, public service loan forgiveness. Um, So if we work for a government entity, like the VA, I see a lot of VA dentists get this. Or if we work for a nonprofit entity, a 501c3, like a college, like I see a lot of people go back to teach or instruct at a college, or they work at a a federally qualified place that's uh, 501c3, 
So these employers are eligible, like if you're working for one of these employers, you could be eligible for this program. There's that requirement. We have to be working at an eligible employer full time. They determine that at least uh, as 30 hours a week on average. And then we have to have federal direct loans and we have to be on an income driven plan and we have to make 120 qualifying payments. So only one payment per month counts. So 120 payments would be 10 years. That's the shortest you can get loan forgiveness within. So I said towards the beginning, you know, for forgiveness, there's 10-year options, 20 and 25. The 20 and 25 is if you're not working in public service. 10 years could be if you're working in public service, and that's the shortest. But also doesn't have to be consecutive. So let's say like you start out in private practice, you go, you know, you do that for a couple of years and then you want to go teach. You could start that program at that time. Let's say you take a break from teaching, you go back to private practice. You've banked those years in teaching. And then if you went back into public service again later, you could just pick back up with where you left off. So that's pretty cool. Like you could always come back to it. I am curious, what were like some of those miscommunications? If you could shed some Mm -hmm. light on that, like some of like the bad press, I guess, that this program got, because I didn't know too much about that. Right. Yeah, there's definitely like an echo chamber, um, echo chamber in like 2017, 2018 about how the program was horrible. And the reasons Mm -hmm. were because the program started in 2007. So the earliest anyone could have ever gotten the loan forgiveness would have been 2017 um, or 2018, really, uh, going into 2018. So at the time, they ran a report at the end of 2017 on how many people had gotten PSLF out of the people who were enrolled in the program. And it was like less than 1%. And so Mm. the press ran with that saying, oh, PSLF is, you know, less than 1% success rate. And those those details, those statistics were very much skewed. Like they, they like took that statistic and ran a direction with it where maybe it was like it was like factually correct, but the context wasn't there. It was, mm. yeah, one percent have gotten it. That's because there's like, you know, uh, only so many people that were eligible at the time. Like that should have been explained that. There weren't people eligible yet. And it didn't mean that people weren't like on the right track. Like there were a ton of people enrolled in the program. They just hadn't hit their 10 years yet or they hadn't hit the 120 payments. Right. So that was Mm. one big problem. The servicers, I think, were also a part of the problem. There wasn't a lot of great communication about like that you had to be on an income driven plan or that you had to have these federal direct loans. And so people thought they were enrolled in the program, but they ultimately were not because they didn't go on an income-driven plan, for example. And so they didn't get credit for that time period. And mm, the servicers, that's I think- horrifying. Were, yeah. So that, that would be like really hard to hear, right? Like if you thought, yeah. oh, I've been making payments for nine years, I should be done almost. And then the servicers like, ah, actually, you had to be on an income-driven plan. It almost feels like a trick, like a game. Yeah. Like, oh, that was rude. Like, you should have told me. I should have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think that's that's the one reason we should definitely work with a specialist because, <laughs> like, we just don't know the fine print like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, at the end of the day, like, um, what's good is they've righted a lot of wrongs. I don't know if that's how you say it, but they have. <laughs> yeah. They have um, definitely come back and they've given people a second chance to allow those prior payments to count. 
And all they had to do was submit documentation that they did work at an eligible employer. If they didn't have the right loans, they just had to correct those loans. So like every other month, I'll get a ton of emails like, yeah, I got my loan forgiven. Uh, that's got to be like the best flood to your email. You're like, it's coming. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, and I, I will save those for when I have a bad day. I have a little oh. like fun bucket in my inbox. Like, <laughs> let me read yeah. some good emails today. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so sweet. Last thing I want to know about, you mentioned how there's like end of the year opportunities. So I didn't realize this was a thing. Like there's like end of the year opportunities or deadlines. I was like, oh, cool. I didn't realize like it was a timely thing. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, if you could share with us some of those. Yeah, so it can be. And keep in mind, anybody who's listening and it's like January 2nd, don't be upset. <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> there's still proactive things you could do this year. But um, sometimes people don't realize that pre-tax contributions to retirement, like 401k, for example, are what reduces your adjusted gross income. You can max out those buckets and it'll make your income look less uh, for your student loan payment. So a lot of people don't know that and they'll miss out on like maxing out a 401k and and maxing out that just means like you put as much as you can put into there. Um, The limit is different every year. Like this year is Mm $22,500. So let's say you've got like one more paycheck left in the year, like you contributed, you know, let's say 15,000 and you're like, oh, I could do without my next paycheck. I'm going to put it all into the 401k. Like you could do that. Uh, You could bump up your contribution by the end of the year to max it out as much as you can. And that'll have a positive impact on what next year's student loan payment's going to be. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Or like, um, benefit elections. So this has probably already passed for a lot of people, but you could think about this for going forward. Um, HSAs, like health savings accounts or FSAs, Mm -hmm. those are also pre-tax deductions. So if you have a health insurance plan that allows you to have one of those, if you max those out, which uh, HSA is uh, 4,000 something for next year, a pretty, pretty decent chunk of money that just is not included in your income. And that makes your student loan payment less. So if you make those benefit elections for the upcoming year, that can help you pay less on your student loans in the future if your payment's based on income. So that has a positive impact on your student loan payment, but also it has a positive impact on your retirement. So it's like, you know, both things. (laughs) Yeah, win-win, exactly. So we haven't actually talked about this yet, but if you're on an income-driven plan, and let's say you're married, the payment is calculated off of your tax return, like we've talked about. So if you file taxes with your spouse, married jointly, like most spouses will do, that income-driven payment will be based off of that joint income. So what you can decide to do if you want to exclude your spouse's income from your payment is you have to file taxes married but separately. And then that mm. keeps the payment off of just your income. So like this upcoming year, this this could be a great like timely topic for anybody listening in January. Like as you're gearing up for taxes for 2023, like wrapping up, getting all those documents, um, you could decide like, you know, am I doing this forgiveness route? Am I going to be on an income driven plan? And then does my spouse earn income? And if they earn income, let's say they don't have student loans, then it would probably make sense for you to file separately for this 2023 tax year to keep the payment off of your own income. There could be tax implications for that, so you want to consider that carefully with a CPA or with with the someone like me, like a CSLP. So, but that that's something that could also have a pretty positive impact on your plan. So, those are some of like 
kind of closing out thoughts for end of the year, starting the new year, some thoughts for how you could, you know, make some decisions on your, your student loan plan. Awesome. Yeah, those are all super helpful to know because like, especially for like most of my listeners are either like they're, they've just graduated or, you know, this is kind of like their first few times having a paycheck, um, doing mm-hmm. even tax returns and things like that. A lot of my classmates, if they like didn't work a job or whatnot, they didn't file mm-hmm. tax returns. So this was kind of like the first, this is good information to have for where my listeners are. Could you leave with everyone where they can find you, like your email, your Instagram page, all mm-hmm. of that good stuff? Yeah. So I consult with a, a company called Student Loan Planner. And so you can find me under Student Loan Planner. Uh, we do one-on-one consultations. We have a Instagram my personal Instagram is Financial Coach Megan, and Megan spelled M E A G A N, so a little funny. Um, I guess it's the Irish way. Like, and then yeah. I named, <laughs> I, na- I married an Irishman, so my last name is McGuire. So I'm like crazy Irish now. <laughs> there we go, love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me: Student Loan Planner or Financial Coach Megan. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for this info today, Megan. This was so helpful. And thank you so much for everyone for listening. We will see you guys next time. Bye.